Every now and again, I like to go back to basics and kind of reset and think about what's most important in life. And especially at the start of the year, it's always a really great opportunity to be able to kind of go back to say, what's most important? What do I want to focus on as I start a new year out? And uh, an example of that, one of the phrases that I've been focused on a lot this year is obedience and trust. These two key words that as I was processing about 2019 were really important to me to say that I felt like what God was challenging me about is just to be obedient, to do the things that he asked me to do and trust that as those things unfold, I'll end up where I need to be. And so that's been really, really helpful and something that I've come back to regularly to say, am I just being obedient? What's God saying to me? Am I being obedient to that, not worrying about what's three months ahead, six months ahead, just doing what's right in front of me and trusting that as I do that, God will unfold whatever his purposes are. And so lots of people have all sorts of different phrases or words that they live by. And so I did a bit of research this week and uh, found a few others that I thought were really helpful as well. So Roy Bennett said, begin each day with a grateful heart, which is a very, very good way to think about what life's all about. Just start every day focusing on the things that we have to be grateful for. L. Sidney Abel said, if there is at least one person you've helped in life, then your life has been worthwhile. It's a really, really good way to think about what our priorities are as well. Dr. Seuss, the master of all philosophy, said, "Do uh, sorry, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Now, I'd heard that last bit before. I didn't actually realise that that was Dr. Seuss, but that's pretty profound. Those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Robert Downey Jr., said, listen, smile, agree, and then do whatever you were going to do anyway, which if you know Robert Downey Jr., that probably does sum up what his life has been all about. Winston Churchill said, success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm, which I really love. That's really great. And then Maya Angelou said, if you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change the way you think about it, which is really, really helpful as well. And so having something, whatever they are, some words to be able to live by, something that captures the essence of what we're focused on, is just really, really helpful for us. And today we're going to see that Jesus gives us some amazing words to be able to live by that sum up everything about what God is all about. And so we're continuing our series called Epic, where we're walking through God's big story, where we're talking about where we can find meaning, purpose, our sense of identity as we look at God's unfolding story. And so we have already looked at the first three episodes of God's big story. We started with designed, where we recognize that we're created for a purpose. We were created to live in a full, complete relationship with God and with each other and to live looking after the creation that God has given us. Another way of saying all that is that we're created to experience God's peace. That's what God's original design was for us, where we can live in intimate, close relationships with nothing to hide from one another. However, we then looked at episode two, which we called Broken, where we recognise that when we choose selfishness, it leads to brokenness. We recognise that as humanity, we chose to walk away from God's best. And instead of choosing others-centred love, we chose selfishness. What's in it for me? What's most important for me? And when we choose selfishness, that introduces brokenness in our relationship with God and in our relationships with one another. But... We recognise that even though we walked away from God's best, God was faithful and patient and gentle with us 
and he didn't give up on us. And so last week we looked at episode three, Expectant, where we summed up the Old Testament by saying we know there's more to life, that we're created to connect with something bigger than ourselves, that we know that life is not supposed to be about brokenness and selfishness, but we crave things being made right. We know that when there is brokenness, something needs to happen to be able to resolve that. And yet a lot of the time, we chase after these things that don't actually bring satisfaction and don't bring resolution to it. We chase after things like laws and rules. We chase after things like land and the right environment. And we chase after leaders, people who just tell us what we need to do. And we do all of that instead of going back to God's original design to just focus on others-centred love and what it means to be in a relationship with him. And so if you've missed any of that and you want to catch up on it, uh, all of those are available on our website and our Facebook page. Or if you're a podcast person, you can subscribe to our podcast and you'll get them every week. So we left things off last week, having journeyed through the Old Testament very, very rapidly, with the recognition that it doesn't matter what God gives us, As humanity, there's something baked into us that chooses to say thanks but no thanks. God gives us all of this amazing stuff to be able to live the lives he created us for and yet we just consistently walk away from that. And so as I said, we hope that the things that we see unfold in the Old Testament will fix things, that if someone will just tell us the rules, give us a set of laws, but ultimately that doesn't satisfy. We hope that if we can just find ourselves in the right environment, the Israelites being able to get to the promised land, everything will be great. We hope that if we can just have leaders, if we just had kings who would lead us, everything would be great. But ultimately, none of those things don't satisfy and we end up making a big mess. But God doesn't give up on us. Even though we choose to keep walking away from him, he doesn't give up on us. And as God continues the journey with the Israelites, we see this growing expectation that someone is going to come who's going to put things right once and for all. This person who's called the Messiah, which also means the rescuer, the saviour, the one who's going to come and restore the relationship with God and with each other that we were created to be able to have. So what were the expectations about this Messiah? As we get ready to recognise Jesus coming, what were people expecting was going to happen when this Messiah figure arrived? What was this person going to be like? Well, there's three key roles that are often talked about when we think about the Messiah. First of all, a king, someone who was a big, strong military ruler, someone who was like King David, who was going to come and uh, in Jesus' time, come and overthrow the Roman government and put Israel back as the most powerful nation on the planet. That was one of the expectations about this saviour and this rescuer, was he was going to come with force, wipe out anyone who was oppressing people, and therefore restore Israel back to its former glory. Other people thought that this Messiah was going to be like a prophet, someone who came and spoke on behalf of God, and someone who displayed what God's power was, with a hope that if people can just hear what God's got to say, if they can just see God performing miraculous acts, then everyone will turn back to God and things will be the way that they're supposed to be. Others thought that this Messiah figure was going to play more of a priestly role, that they were going to come and make a bunch of sacrifices and be a go-between between us and God and make things right that way. And what's really interesting is that none of those roles would have been needed if we'd just lived the way God created us to live. If we'd just lived by God's original design, we would never have needed a king because we would have been led by God. 
we would never have needed a prophet because we would have just had a great relationship with God where we'd hear from him directly. We wouldn't need priests to make sacrifices on our behalf because we'd be living the way that God created us to live. And so the expectations about the Messiah was this person who was going to come and fill all these roles that God didn't really want in the first place. And yet what's staggering is that when Jesus arrives as the Messiah, he fulfills all of those roles, but in such a radical way that it tips everything on its head. Jesus comes as a king, but he doesn't come as a powerful military king to overthrow the Roman government and restore a specific group of people. Jesus comes as the servant king who comes to bring a kingdom of peace and something that goes beyond national lines to be something that everybody can experience. Jesus comes as a prophet who speaks on behalf of God, but actually more radically than that, as we're going to focus on today, he comes to show us exactly what God is like, not just God's words, but the very essence of God with us. And he does come to make a sacrifice, to make us right with God, but that sacrifice means that sacrifices are done with once and for all, as we'll focus on in a couple of weeks. So today we get into episode four, which we're called Presence. We are not alone. But we believe that Jesus comes to show us what God is like. We believe that Jesus comes to show us how to live our lives the way that we were originally created to live. And that Jesus comes to set us free to be able to live the lives that we were always supposed to be able to live. So inside of Caring Connection, you have teaching notes. And so you can feel free to jot things down as we go through. But there's also your Q&A sheets. And uh, so I'm thrilled and a little bit scared about how many questions we've got in our question box already. So that's really, really great. At the end of this series, we're going to be doing a Q&A Sunday, which is probably going to be more than one Sunday by the look of it, which is good. Uh, and so we're going to be unpacking the questions. But we want you to jot them down as we go through each week. Um, because then when we get to the end, it'll be hard to remember what we've talked about a month or more ago. So feel free to jot those down and drop them off in the box at the back on your way out. So Jesus comes to be the presence of God with us. And the first part of our understanding of that is that Jesus comes to show us what God is like. After all of this waiting, after all of this expectation, all of this anticipation that this Messiah was going to come, about 2,000 years ago, in a tiny little town, a tiny little baby was born who completely changes the course of history. And we call this episode Presence because we believe that Jesus entering into our existence as a tiny little baby is about Jesus bringing the presence of God with us. Emmanuel, which is one of the words that we talk about with Jesus, especially at Christmas time. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus comes into our human existence to show us what God is like, to show us what is most important to God, to show us who is most important to God. And this is amazing because any time that we're unsure about the character of God, the heart of God, any time we're unsure about what God's like, we just have to look at Jesus. We just go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we read that and we see what God is like. Jesus summed this up when he was talking to his disciples in the reading that we've looked at today. Just before the journey to the cross was about to begin, Jesus takes a fair bit of time with his disciples to explain what's about to happen and to try and clarify some of the things that they really need to be able to remember. And so in John 14, 
verse 6, Jesus says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except by me. Now that you have known me, you, know, you will know my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So Jesus says two very profound things in these few verses. First of all, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. This is a verse that's very, very meaningful and powerful to a lot of us, but it's also something that a lot of people have a lot of trouble with because it seems like Jesus is being very exclusive here. The image that I often have when I think about this verse for someone who doesn't really know much about Jesus is a picture of Jesus as a bouncer, standing at the gates of heaven, arms crossed, saying, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. And the impression that we get of that, which a lot of people around us have, is that Jesus is saying, unless you measure up, unless you get enough stuff right in your life, unless you do enough right things, unless you believe enough right things, you can't get to the Father. No one gets in except if I let them in because you have measured up. And the challenge with that is that it paints a picture of God that he's got these really high and lofty standards that we can never attain. And part of that's true. We do believe that God is perfect. We do believe that God is completely holy. We talk a lot about this word sin, which means missing the mark. And we've talked about an archery target and a bullseye that we're aiming for. And that bullseye is loving perfectly 100% of the time, which is what God is like. God never does anything that is not loving 100% of the time, but none of us do. All of us make mistakes, and so none of us can actually reach what God's standards are. But far from that being a harsh thing that Jesus is saying, it's actually radically inclusive. Because what Jesus is saying is, if you think that you can work hard enough, if you think that you can live a good enough life to be able to somehow manage to earn God's love and God's favour, you've kind of missed the whole point. Because it's not about you trying to earn it. It's not about you trying to work hard enough. It's simply about you accepting the free gift that's been given to you. Accepting that I'm the only way to the Father because I've done it all for you. It's not about you trying hard enough. It's just about accepting what is already there. So Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me because there's no other way to have a relationship with God except accepting Jesus. So Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, says, well, Lord, show us the Father. That's all we need. And Jesus answers, for a long time I've been with you all, and yet do you not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Why then do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe, Philip, that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I have spoken to you do not come from me. The Father who remains in me does his own work. And so Jesus is not only saying, I'm the way to the Father, to which Philip says, okay, well, that's great. Show us what God's like then. But Jesus actually says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. If you want to know what God is like, then look at me, look at my life, look at my interactions with people, look at my teaching. Look at me and you will see God. Jesus isn't just the way to God. Jesus is God in human form, God with us. So Jesus comes to show us what God 
is like. That alone would be staggering enough if we just stopped there. But we also believe that in Jesus coming to be amongst us, bringing the presence of God with us, Jesus also shows us how to live. He comes to show us what it looks like for us to live by the original design that God created us to be able to live by, with others-centred love at the core of who we are. Through Jesus' teaching, through the way that Jesus lives his life, we rediscover what it is that God wanted for us the whole time, since before the creation of the world. The way in which he wanted us to live in a full, complete relationship with God and with each other. And so, going back to these words to live by, if I had to have one verse or one set of verses that I thought summed up the entirety of what Jesus teaches, it would be these verses from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. It says, When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they came together, and one of them, a teacher of the law, tried to trap him with a question. Teacher, he asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, before we go any further, we should clarify a couple of terms here, because Pharisees and Sadducees, what on earth are those people and what's that all about? Pharisees and Sadducees were religious leaders of Jesus' day. So they were Jewish religious leaders, uh, but they differed in one very specific way. The Pharisees were people who believed in the written law, the law that was written down by Moses, the Old Testament laws that we've talked about, but they also believed in what was called the oral law which means that you can take what was written down, but you can apply it in different situations. That over time there was a recognition that not everything is captured there, and so sometimes you need to think outside the square. Think, how do we apply this in this situation where we don't have it definitively written down? And the Pharisees were okay with that. The Sadducees, on the other hand, were adamant that no, it was just the written law. So what's written down there is it. And one of the biggest places they had disagreement about was whether there's a resurrection. So the Pharisees believe that there was a resurrection, there's an afterlife where we get to spend eternity with God. But the Sadducees said, no, there is no resurrection because there's nothing about the resurrection written in the law. And so if it's not there, then that's not a thing. And so they had a lot of tension between them. Some of the Sadducees had just had a bit of a conversation with Jesus about all of the implications of that, trying to trap Jesus with some questions about the resurrection. But the Pharisees now come to Jesus, and in particular one of the teachers of the law, which is one of the people who spent their whole lives studying the law, knowing it inside and out, knowing every single rule that was there, what you are allowed to do, what you aren't allowed to do, and again, how to apply it in every situation. So if you were unsure, how am I supposed to apply this, or I think I've made a mistake, what do I need to do? You would go and see a teacher of the law, and they would clarify things. But this teacher of the law comes to Jesus trying to trap him. He's not coming being genuinely interested. He's trying to trick Jesus to prove that getting rid of the law was a ridiculous thing to say, that this irreligious stuff that Jesus was talking about and throwing away things like the Sabbath and some other things was something that was completely unacceptable. We have to have rules that we have to live by. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, so tell us what are the rules? In fact, tell us what's the most important rule. What do we need to hold on to? And Jesus answers with these remarkably powerful words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second most important commandment is like it. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. 
The whole law of Moses and the teachings of the prophets depend on these two commandments. So Jesus says, if you want to know how to live your life, it's really simple. Love God, love people. That's it. That's all that you need to do. And that's what we've come back to over and over again throughout this series. That's what the original design was. Love God, love other people. That's all that we need to be focused on. Not rules, not laws, not sacrifices, not selfishness, not all of the other stuff that we see throughout the Old Testament. Love God, love people. That's it. When you do that, you live at peace, the way that you were created to live. And so that's really the core of Jesus' teaching. Everything else that you see Jesus talks about is focused on one or either of those two things. What does it look like to love God? What does it look like to genuinely love people? And it's important to name that this isn't just kind of wishy-washy, emotional love that kind of comes and goes, filled with romanticism and infatuation. This is love that is a choice. Jesus talks about us loving God with our heart, our mind, and our soul. Our heart, which means our motives, our mind, which means the way that we think about things and the way that we look at the world, and then our soul to the very depths of who we are. Jesus challenges us to choose love in all of those different places. So Jesus comes to show us what God is like, but also to show us how to live the lives that we were always created to live. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see someone who's living humanity the way it was always supposed to be. It's amazing that we have this model to follow, not just a set of teaching, but a life to be able to model our lives after. So those two things would be radical enough if we just stopped there. So it isn't amazing. Jesus comes to show us what God's like, to bring the presence of God here, to show us how to live our lives. That's awesome. But it goes even further than that. Jesus also comes to set us free. Last week we talked about one of the prophecies that we find in Isaiah chapter 9 about this Messiah and this rescuer who's going to come. And so in Luke chapter 4, we find that Jesus is in the synagogue, in the gathering place, and he stands up and he reads from the scriptures. So verse 16, it says, Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath he went as usual to the synagogue. He stood up to read the scriptures and was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it's written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's chosen me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and announce that the time has come when the Lord will save his people. Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the people in the synagogue had their eyes fixed on him as he said to them, this passage of scripture has come true today as you heard it being read. You can just imagine a pin dropping as Jesus says those words. He reads this passage that's so familiar to all of them. Good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed. The time has come for the Lord to save his people. All of them knew that. But Jesus says all of that has just come true, just as you heard it being read. It's happened. And they would have all known that what Jesus is saying is, I am the Messiah. I am the rescuer. I'm the one who's come to do all of that. 
But what's really fascinating is Jesus doesn't say all of that is going to happen. All of that is going to come true when I die or when I rise again. He says all of that is true right here, right now. There's something about Jesus as a human being entered into our humanity as the presence of God, fully God and fully human, that brings healing, that brings release, that brings freedom to all of us. His very presence on earth brings all of that. Not his death, not his resurrection. Jesus as God with us. Jesus comes to show us what God is like, to show us how to live our lives, but to set us free from the things that hold us captive, to set us free from the things that get in the way of us being able to experience life the way that we were created to live. So as we wrap up our message today, I want to use the same reflection question that we've been using throughout this series. How does God's story shape my identity and purpose? How does God's story help me understand more about who I am and why I'm here? And so we want to look at each of these three things that we've unpacked a little bit today to say, well, how does what we've talked about impact who I am and what I'm all about? First of all, Jesus comes to show us what God is like. So that means for those of us who are struggling a little bit in our relationship with God or struggling a bit with our understanding of what God is like, Jesus comes to say, look at me and understand that's what God is like. And so if you're struggling to think about God as a loving God who cares about you, go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and see that's what God is like. The way in which Jesus cares for people, the way in which Jesus interacts with people, the things that Jesus said show us what God is like. What does Jesus come to do? Bring healing, wholeness, restoration and forgiveness. That's what God is like. That's what God's heart is and God's passion is. That's why we talk so much about being Jesus-centred people because everything that we do ultimately comes back to Jesus to his life, his teaching, his death and resurrection, which we'll talk about in the next episode. Jesus comes to show us what God is like. We don't have to be confused about what God's like. We just look at Jesus. So if that's something that you're wrestling with, it might be good this week to be able to think, what does Jesus remind me of? What are the stories of Jesus that are important to me? How does that help me shape my understanding of God? Secondly, Jesus shows us how to live. So if we're struggling a little bit with what we're supposed to be doing while we're here, if we're struggling a bit with motivation, if we're struggling to understand how we follow Jesus, then we just go back to the essence of what he said. Love God, love people. That's how we need to start every day. How do I love God more today than I did yesterday? How do I love people more today than I did yesterday? That's what following Jesus is all about. But we can drill into these things that Jesus has talked about specifically in terms of heart, mind and soul. For some of us, it's about checking our motives and being able to say, what does it look like for me to love God with my heart? Which means how do I make sure that my motives are love-centred? Because my words and my actions all flow out of my heart, out of my motives. So what does it look like for me to make sure love is at the core of who I am? shapes all of the motives that I've got. For some of us, it is about allowing love to shape our mind, 
to recalibrate our thoughts and to say, are my thoughts others-centred? Are my thoughts loving? Do I think about people? Do I see people? Do I make decisions that are based on love? And if not, how do I go back to the essence of who Jesus is and recalibrate my thoughts around that? And for some of us, it is getting back to the depths of who we are, our very souls. And our soul, when the Bible talks about it, is about two things. Our life essence, so where is our source of life, but also our spirituality. And so for some of us, it's about saying, my well is pretty dry. I'm kind of struggling internally. There's not much life force that I'm feeling right now. So it's a challenge for us to go back to God, to the source of life, to see our spirituality not as a to-do list, a bunch of things that I have to get done, but an opportunity to receive more of God's love in the very depths of who I am because that will then flow out into my motives, into my thoughts, which then affects my actions. So for some of us, it might be about taking some time this week to say, how do I recalibrate what my life's all about around those two thoughts, loving God and loving people? And for others of us, it might be about the third point, about Jesus setting us free. That if Jesus came to set the captives and the oppressed free, and if Jesus says that all of that has already happened, that's really, really great news. That's why we talk about the gospel, which means really, really good news. That's amazing. Everyone has been set free. You have been set free from anything that's holding you captive, anything that's oppressing you. So maybe some of us need to take some time to be able to say, what are the things that I'm putting in place that are causing blockages? What are the things that I feel like are trapping me? And how do I give those things over to Jesus? To say they've been dealt with. Jesus has set me free from all of those things, whether they're thought patterns, whether they're attitudes, whether they're habits, whatever it might be that's stopping me from experiencing the life God's got for me. How do I stop long enough to recognise Jesus came to release me from all of that, to set me free? And as we reflect on all of those things together, we recognise that we come back to this word presence. That all of that is astounding to think about Jesus having done all of that. Jesus coming to bring God's presence into the world. Jesus coming to show us how to live. Jesus coming to set us free as historical things that have happened in the past. But it's so much more astounding than that. Because Jesus is the presence of God here with us now. This isn't just stuff that happened back then that we live out of. The majority of belief systems in the world are based on that. Someone who came, who lived, who taught some stuff, and then who died. And so we look back on their teaching to learn some stuff. We look back on their life and maybe learn from the way that they lived. But Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus is our risen King Jesus, who is here with us now. Yes, we can learn from his teaching and his life and what we read about in the scripture. That's why we come back to it so much. But it's so much richer than that. Jesus is alive and here with us. And Jesus is passionate about having a real, genuine, love-filled relationship with us in the here and now. Jesus wants us to experience his love right here, right now. And so as we wrap 
I want to just give us an opportunity to recognize that. I'm going to pause and give us a couple of moments of silence. And what I want to encourage us to do is to acknowledge that fact. That Jesus is not someone who was around back then that I can learn from. Jesus is here amongst us in this moment right now. And if it's helpful for you to do something symbolic, physical of that, you might want to put your hands out to receive the reality and say, Jesus, thank you that you're here with me. We're going to take a moment in the silence just to acknowledge Jesus is here to bring the presence of God amongst us. So let's take a moment and reflect and then we'll wrap up. Jesus, thank you that you are here with us, that you are here amongst us. You didn't just come to show us what God is like, as profound as that is. You didn't just come to show us how to live our lives, as profound as that is. You didn't just come to set us free, as profound as that is. You came to have a relationship with us, to be the one who we go to, to understand what love looks like, and how to live our lives with love at the core and the centre of what that's all about. We're so grateful that you are the risen King Jesus, here with us, here amongst us. And we're so grateful that that's not just about being in this space, but as we move into a time of communion, as we take some time to have a coffee after the service, as we head out into all the things that we've got on this week, you go with us. Every day is an opportunity for us to continue to journey with you, continue to recognise that we work in partnership with you. Every day is an opportunity to experience more of your love so that we can share that love with the people around us. Thank you that you came to do all of that and so much more. Thank you that you are the core and the centre of our lives and of our church family. We pray that as we continue to move forward, as we continue to understand more and more about God's big story, and we can recognise that you are the central figure of all of it. You are the one who allows the story to pivot in such an amazing and radical way that opens up the opportunity for us to find ourselves in the story, not because we get our lives together enough, not because we do enough, but simply because of who you are and what you've done for us. So we pray that you would continue to bring healing and wholeness and freedom and peace into our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.